welcome to our podcast, Talks Talk for, for Her. Hi, I'm Zeynep. And I'm Farah. We are going to be your hosts for the upcoming episodes. This podcast is for all the feminists who aspire to rise above the storm and find the sunshine. Enjoy the journey with us. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hey, Jenna. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today for our episode in Talks for Her. Uh, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jenna Ali. Um, I'm a London-based designer. I like to focus my designs around the topic of identity and uh, social topics. Yeah, I just like know because I did the first podcast with you that uh, you're actually uh-huh. very focused on the Indo-Caribbean culture, which is yours. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, sure. So I'm half Egyptian, um, half Guyanese. Um, so the Indo-Caribbean community is kind of very underrepresented not many people know about it not many people know where Guyana is a lot of people as soon as I say oh I'm Guyanese I say oh you don't look like you're from Ghana and I'm like not the same place (laughs) (laughs) basically you got the wrong continent (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so Guyana is situated in South America but it's in the Caribbean so the culture Mm -hmm. is very heavily focused on the Caribbean Um, It was a British colony, so the British ruled it for a certain amount of time. And what they did was they employed uh, laborers from India and brought them over as a contracted slave trade, basically. So they were paid very little. They were coming to the same environment. So a lot of the time um, there was rape that happened, abuse that that happened. Um, They weren't allowed to leave the plantation without their master's um, consent. Uh, a lot of the time they were tricked as well to come over. So the the laborers that came didn't really know what they were coming to. And this was around 200 years ago. And so basically for around 200 years, there's been a whole South Asian community in the Caribbean wow. that a lot of people don't know about. And it's kind of created this fusion culture of elements of West Indian culture mixed with elements of South Asian culture. So a lot of the food that you would Uh, see that's from the West Indies is actually um, Indian influence the curries the rotis um, Mm. that kind of stuff because of the the huge yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) the huge huge community there of South Asians and what we're trying to do as a community um, and what I've specifically been trying to do with my work is really bring light to the fact that we're here and we are underrepresented um, and this is what our community looks like and this is how we've contributed to the things that you know about the Caribbean but you just don't know about us yet and this is why you don't know mm. about us. Wow, so inspiring like you, actually. It's like Indo-Caribbeans have been living in the shadow. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So a lot of the time we're like, I, I was reading an article when I was doing my dissertation and she referred, the woman that wrote the article referred to Indo-Caribbeans as hidden passengers because I don't know if you know about the Windrush generation. Yes. The Windrush, yeah, so the Windrush generation was when there was a heavy migration from the West Indies to Britain to replenish the lack of war labor. Um, and a lot of people don't know that a lot of Indo-Caribbeans came, especially my family came during that time. Um, and so this woman, when she was describing them on the boats, Um, she described them as hidden passengers because no one really recognized them as a part of that movement when they were a substantial amount of that movement. 
do you consider yourself Guyanese, British? Actually, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, how that's do you identify question. yourself? That's a good question because um, I think when I talk to my parents, because I'm mixed and um, born here, I think they are of the understanding that you're British. Um, but I think for anyone who is of a different ethnicity living in Britain, um, you will quickly get to know that you are not the idea of British that British people have. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, kind of, yeah. Hard, yeah, it's hard to explain. It's it's a feeling. You're, you're made to kind of feel um, not British. And I, I don't yeah. really know how to put it in any other words apart from that. I personally just identify as Guyanese and Egyptian. Um, but if I'm in another country and I obviously have an English accent, then I'll be like, oh, I'm from London, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, it feels. I was talking like a few days ago with like other friends who are in fashion design. And we were talking about the fact that when you have to do, for example, a project, you know, for school or something. And if you're like just the ideal British for example or ideal French or something uh, we won't ask anything for you but if you have some cultural like different cultural background you would be asked like can you link your work to it can you explain like your culture through your work you always have to um, link your work like with the, the fashion so I mm. know that this is one of the points you are actually focusing on. And how did you come up with like the idea of creating fashion for your culture, but also by your culture, like mm -hmm. most importantly? So I think when it started, I always, I've always kind of like had this really big interest in like social topics um, and like the social aspects of fashion. Mm. So what I really like um about fashion in particular is that when you look through the decades you can see exactly what's going on in society through the clothes that they're wearing um if you look at 1950s fashion with the big skirts they came about because the war had just ended and they were trying to get women back into the home and a way of doing that was to market these really beautiful dresses that would only be suitable for the home and not suitable for mm. work um and, and things like, like in the 20s, when, when you saw hems rising, it signified the liberation of women. And yeah. so it was things like that, which I thought were losing right now in fashion. You see it, but you don't see it enough. And um, I wanted, I for me, I wanted to see fashion where you could look at it and see that was what was happening during that time. And it's more than just clothing. It, it's, it's a signifier and it's a symbol. And so I've always been interested in that. And then when my grandmother passed away, she passed away just before I went into my final year of university. Oh, wow. And I suddenly got like really intrigued about her heritage and I, the fact that I just didn't really understand it myself. Like growing up, I couldn't really explain to people like who I was and, and um, the kind of background I came from because it was so complex and because no, there was no representation and no one really knew about us. So I kind of started by delving into her personal history and where she came from and how her family ended up in India. And then I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to have enough time to kind of like look into this because I've got my final year of uni coming up. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't I just put the two together? And so I kind of 
ended up making the whole year about this delve into my family history and find and I found out so many different things and so many answers to, to questions that I I never had the answers to before um and so and then it's crazy because it's blown up now to a point where like next Sunday I'm doing a Instagram live with like a really big Canadian um Indo-Caribbean um Instagram and like now I've got this whole before I I had no idea this community was out there now I have this whole community of people that are just like me from the same yeah yeah, from the same ethnicity and we're we're able to have these conversations and share stories and 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 exactly and what's really funny like what I like about it personally when they came over from India to the Caribbean because of all of the complexities around it um a lot of people can't trace back their ancestry. A lot of people don't know who their grandparents were. A lot of people don't know where in India they're from, what village. It, everything's very, very much lost. Um, so when I'm talking to these women that are from my community, I feel like, you know, we could be related or my grandparent could have been on the boat with your grandparent, like yeah. things like that. And, and, and it just makes you feel more connected, you know? Yeah, like it's yes, a big yes, family yes. at the end, like. Mm-hmm. that's pretty cool I, I just want to ask you if if you believe like fashion design can help a culture stay alive to keep its identity in a highly globalized world where Americanization is you know dominated on everything yeah I mean definitely I do think so I think fashion is a vehicle for for so much more I feel like not only can it sustain uh, your cultural traditions Um, but it can also challenge them you know so in the way that I've kind of had my collection the pieces I made weren't conventionally Indo-Caribbean they were kind of my representation of Indo-Caribbean-ness as a 21st century woman Um, and also the influences that have come into contact with that community. So for example, um, I made a piece and it was a corset with a sari drape on it. And the corset came from um, 1800s Western textiles, which would at Mm -hmm. the time would have been um, the the colonialists, would have been the people that were ruling over their country. And so these two things would have never really have met in traditional textiles, but they did because the vehicle allowed it to. So not only do I feel like fashion is able to sustain and progress um, communities and ethnic groups, but it's also able to challenge it. And I, I think that's what I really like about it too. Yeah, and it's also a way like to recreate the history in a way, like maybe mm-hmm. there's like a link between it, like not um, confrontation, but more like unite them in a beautiful piece of fashion design and rearrange the history in another way so it's kind of beautiful yeah Yeah, and and even in your case it was a self-discovery journey you were discovering your ancestors traditions through this fashion design and line you created and I think that's what makes it for me when dealing with subjects like this social subjects and identity and things around identity are really delicate because we live in a world that's very um hypersensitive right now and Mm. you never want to uh offend anyone ever and I think when you are using identity or social subjects in an industry who what is typically known as a money-making industry you never want to seem like you're exploiting it 
So that was mm. one of my things. I never wanted to feel like I was exploiting a heritage um, to get some sort of gain from it, whether that be money or whether that just to be um, it, the fact that it's eye-catching. And so I think the fact that it was really authentic, um, that it was a journey and that I was discovering things and that's how I was creating the collection. I think that's what made it um, really pleasing for the community to see because they could, I was very honest about the fact that I wasn't raised with this um, abundance of culture. I was raised in quite a British household with my parents actually on purpose never really raised us with much culture because mm -hmm. they wanted us to kind of not Different. have the stone yeah they wanted us to to be British and also not to have the taboos of culture and the stigmas they wanted to kind of take away the negative parts and with that they kind of just took away the culture altogether yeah. um, <laughs> and so um so I I was really honest about the fact where look I'm coming into this not knowing much but I'm I'm here to learn and discover and from what I've learned and from my personal experience this is what I have like this is what I've created and I think that's why people kind of liked it so much and like were drawn to it because it clearly wasn't there to be exploited you know it was it was yeah. really authentic like we were talking about this just before like we're like oh we're having Jana and stuff and then she like Farah told me oh how do we call this like actually uh cultural appropriation and we were wondering how is that like how can we avoid that mm. like in a way like in fashion because sometimes you just see something in the street and you're like oh my god this is cultural appropriation and in your work we like I saw the small video guys if you're listening to this please go and see this video like when you're presenting the final project and it was so moving because you see there's like yeah. a history behind it And I was like, oh, this is so not like anything about taking advantage from any culture. It was yeah. really moving. Like, Thank and we were you. talking about it. So I think you really nailed it. Thank you. And also like, the so all the clips in that video, um, you know, where it kind of like goes to like the older yeah. clip. Those are all family videos, like fam homemade family really? videos. Whoa. Yeah, and the uh, over voice. The over voice is actually my great aunt. So I interviewed wow. you. Cool. Yeah, so I, I had no idea actually. Yeah. Like, oh, that's so cool. Wow, amazing. Like that it's even more beautiful. Please guys go and see this video. It's amazing. And so we were like seeing that you came up with your brand also, Holza, and the motto is wear your morals on your sleeve. We loved it. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so um Holza kind of came about even before I did the Indo-Caribbean stuff. So Like I said, I really like talking about social topics. Um, and during my industry of uni, I was working for a lot of startup brands at the time. And I had, at this time, I kind of gave up on the idea of having a business. Like for every designer at one point in your life, you're like, I'm going to have my own like fashion mm -hmm. brand. Um, and at that point I had gave, given up on the idea. I thought, oh, maybe it's not for me. Um, it just, it seems a bit too consuming for the type of lifestyle I wanted to have um, but then when I was watching these startup businesses I kind of developed this love for treating it almost as your baby you know and nurturing it and kind of seeing where it goes and also I feel like it was just a good experience for me to be able to um, 
to kind of have that business savviness about me. So I started um, Holder and when I started it, it was not what it was supposed to, like what it is today. Um, When I started it, it was just going to be some affordable brand. I mean, I I knew I always wanted it affordable because look, I can't afford like the latest Gucci or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, and for me, if I'm selling something, I need to sell something that I could buy myself. So I I always knew it was going to be affordable. And then as I was progressing um, through into my final year and everything, it kind of evolved into this brand that I wanted to see in the world. So I wanted to see a brand that was ethical, that was sustainable, um, that talked about real issues, um, that was more than just a brand and could take off into almost like um, a think tank of, um, of innovative ideas, people. Um, it to be affordable of course and so I created Holder and I kind of really sat down after I graduated and wrote a business plan Um, and so wear your morals on your sleeve for me normally everyone says you know oh you wear your heart on your sleeve Um, (laughs) and for me I wanted to create this brand of for women by women um, that allowed them to have these really great opinions and to 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 stick up for what they believe in and wear it proudly you know and to allow them to wear it on their sleeves to, to give them a space where it's like yeah like it, you're wearing holder like I can tell what type of woman you are like you are a strong woman you know and mm-hmm. um that's kind of where it started and so I started designing around social topics and and kind of having that loud messaging on it so when the first collection everything is going very slowly right now because of COVID but with the first collection um I I was went before COVID happened I was on the train yeah. and um in London the trains are really packed and a lot of the people that are, are on the trains are like working class people or middle class people um and so you see like ladies and they have their bags on their laps and you can see the base of the bag and I was looking yeah. at the base of the bag in front of me and I was like this is such wasted space like <laughs> you could use this like you could put something at the bottom of this bag and I could have a nice read on the train and and it would be like this is the only part of the bag I'm seeing and I'm not seeing anything you know like the bottom of a bag is never utilized in any sort of design function exactly yeah so I was like well I'm marketing my bag to this kind of woman the kind of woman that will have their bag on their lap and everyone sees the base so I was like what if I put a loud message just on the base of the bag and the only time you'll see it is when it's on her lap or if she's put, rested it down somewhere. And so kind of that's what I've done for like the first collection. That's so cool. To kind of create, it's almost like the the red bottom of the shoe. I've yeah. kind of like rebranded that for bags. <laughs> Love the, the story behind the idea. Thank you. I just like, I'm wondering, is it possible to have a sustainable ethical brand while at the same time affordable? It is, but it's extremely difficult. I can tell you that from now. It's yeah. difficult. Explain, please. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's been a journey. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's doable, but I think it heavily depends on what you classify as affordable. So another thing that Holder kind of wants to show their consumer is that you pay a little bit more, but you spend less often. So in turn, it is more affordable. 
So we want to make good quality products, not made in sweatshops or in any factories that we don't know the history of. So right now I'm working with a London-based factory. So I, I can go visit. Actually, I work there during my my um, industry. So I know exactly what happens there. And all the materials are vegan friendly. Uh, eventually, I want to move to Apple leather. But right now, I'm just using a vegan-based leather. In terms of the pricing, so I'm aiming to not go above the 150 mark. And in terms of pricing for bags in the luxury market, that's affordable luxury. Yeah. Actually, that's lower. That's lower than affordable luxury. It's like maybe, uh, yeah, I would I would personally put it in the affordable luxury brand, but I, affordable luxury is like 400 pounds. Yeah, so I kind of wanted it to be that if you saved up a little and it wouldn't take you a very long time, you can buy a bag and not have to think about buying a bag for another year or so. And that's how I want exactly. it to be. Yeah, yeah. the idea you is can buy, buy like, less. Yeah. Exactly. You can buy one bag that will last a year or two years rather than exactly. buying two or three bags in the same year. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of what I was aiming for. Is like Because that is another problem in the fashion industry is we just consume way too much. Exactly. Yeah, that's we, horrible. We yeah. We just yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a huge problem. And so it's to kind of encourage people where I feel like if the price was too cheap, if it was too low down, which would be impossible anyway, but if it was that low down, it would just we be would encouraging. Quality, yeah. 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 And also it would just be encouraging people to buy more. And like, yeah, I'm that's not, not here. the idea. Exactly. I'm not here to exploit you and I'm not here to, um, to ruin the planet. Like I, I don't want to take, I just want to leave behind like goodness and I feel like we can do it I feel like people think that's impossible when it comes to business but I want to show that it's possible but you can't you there's a balancing act yeah and I think the mentality is actually changing a lot and I think also because of the pandemic we felt like the world was slowing down a little and you know all the concepts of slow living and stuff came up and we're more in attendance I don't know how to say that exactly but I felt a lot of people were decluttering uh, looking like how to reorganize their space their closets and so like I know myself I just like declutter everything and like put bags of clothes just like to give and donate and I was like okay that's it I'm not gonna buy like uh, 20 t-shirts for no reason I want to save and buy one thing I like and I'm good with it like and I think that yeah. COVID actually did something to us like we were just stuck in a space maybe too stuffed with like uh, useless clothes yeah. useless uh, I don't know devices and we felt like okay maybe it's time to change yeah so. and I mean with nowhere to wear it you know we'd like open our closet and as much as we'd want to put on a great outfit like there's nowhere to wear it yeah exactly let's You're be just honest at home. <laughs> exactly so i think there's like a new trend going out now with minimalism in clothes it's like you have three shirts or three and three pants like three uh, like the color is black Mm -hmm. and you don't have to think you just wear the same thing every day Mm -hmm. that's my life actually (laughs) (laughs) that's me every morning that's just the reality black turtleneck every day of this year yeah because you lose a lot of energy in the morning thinking about what you're gonna wear yeah like all of them look look like so we just wear anything yeah the capsule the capsule 
wardrobe kind of thing yeah. I agree I mean look I I spend way too much thinking about what I wear and 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 even then it's not even worth it so but like that's the thing though I I do want pe- I don't I do want people to look nice and I do want people to feel amazing when they're getting dressed I exactly. want all that stuff but I don't think we have to kill the planet to do that you know I don't think that yeah. we have to have five of the same pair of jeans to look good <laughs> You know, it's just, it doesn't One is enough, okay, two maybe. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly, exactly. And it was like so cool for you to say that you want women to feel actually beautiful and uh, like that fashion can actually also empower women in a way. Yeah, so I was like, what do you think the brand can actually improve for doing this? Because I feel like we're just pushed to buy anything that sometimes doesn't even fit us, you know? You buy this like dress and never wear it. And you're just like, okay, now I don't feel pretty. I have this dress. Like, how can like the fashion brands and industry in general change their way of doing to empower women even more? I actually, I was applying to a job recently and I made um, kind of like this video for them. Asking yes. them about like, what, do we, what does the industry need to change in the future um, since COVID's happened? And I, what I said was personally in in the past the fashion industry has always gone off of this aspirational kind of model of um selling people a really high standard of life um that is not attainable really um but because you like what you see so much you buy into practically anything um and i personally think that is wrong um i think it is exploitive um i don't agree with it because as you can probably see, it leads to very unhealthy minds um, and very materialistic people. However, what I do feel like it should change to, and perhaps a healthier model, is to keep the aspirational sense, but to redirect it. Um, To direct it in a sense of, you want to aspire towards sustainability. You want to aspire towards um, equality. You want to aspire towards great ethics. Um, You want to aspire to inclusivity. So when you're seeing these fashion brand adverts, um, billboards and magazine editorials, you want to see women of all shapes and sizes, all races, um, cis women, non-binary. You want to see trans women. You want to see what the world actually looks like. Because let's face it, the percentage that they're showing is a very small percent. Those rich, beautiful, skinny, westernized version yes. of beauty that we're seeing. And mostly it's plastic surgery. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not even their own bodies. <laughs> this is my thing, is that you can't even aspire to your own body and you're selling it to me to aspire to. Like, how does that yeah. make sense? You couldn't attain it yourself, and I have to try and obtain that. Like that's exactly yeah. me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I think we need to have a more grounded version of of aspirations, um, and it needs to be more relatable. Like I've said this before, where you know you can asp- aspirational things make you leave you wanting something that you don't have, but relatable things leave you appreciating what you already have. And I think that's mm. what we need more of. And I, that's what I want to do with this brand. And in terms of the whole making women empowered and feel strong, one of the reasons why I created this 
brand that spoke so loudly about issues is because when I started speaking so loudly about issues, I found a lot of people almost, I don't want to say shaming me for it. Yes, but... but it, it kind of was like almost as if like why do you like why do yeah. you care so much you know like and sometimes why- they're acting like they ignore the issues I don't know if that already happened to you like what issues are you talking about like why are you yeah. doing like this drama stuff because of this yeah. this is nothing or purposely trying to challenge your issues even if they don't feel that passionately about it just to challenge it because you've spoken yeah. up and so I don't I don't want women to feel like that at all I think that's bull if I'm honest like I think women should be able to speak just as loudly as a man and not have a different reaction from it and so that's why I've kind of created this brand it's like go speak loudly like speak like like show people what you want wear your morals on your sleeve and wear them proudly and so that's kind of where it came from yeah and we also have uh you know the idea of uh the fact that uh the fashion industry is more female oriented But actually, I was reading something and the survey was saying that uh, it's still run mostly by men, like the fashion industry. So do you feel this inequality in your daily life as a woman designer? I do. I think that is at a higher level um, in terms of when you look at luxury and maybe even in retail, the brands are owned by men a lot. You can start to, you're starting to see a bit of a shift and a change. Like I am starting to see more women bosses, which is great to see. But yeah, 100%, it's definitely still kind of dominated um, by men. Um, and it is a bit daunting and it is a bit, it's a bit discouraging because it kind of makes you feel like a woman that's going into the business setting. If these are the odds, like what chances do I have? But then I guess yeah. it's even more reason to go into it because you want to change the odds. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I don't see I've been hesitant to bring this up, but even in terms of like if we're talking about equality like in the fashion industry, even in terms of like because I've had a lot of experience with applying to jobs after graduating and the response I've seen compared to my counterparts. Um, and I think it's very well known, obviously, that I don't know if you've heard of the statistic. But your CV is mo- more likely to kind of be discarded if you have an ethnic name than if you were to yeah. have a British name. <laughs> and that's something I've seen like a lot of. Like, really? I was going to ask you this. Have you like ever been discriminated against based on your roots, your race? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of times, especially in the workplace, like I once had... I mean, a, a lot of the time people mistake me just for South Asian, which I completely understand. Um, yeah. And I was in a studio working there one day and some guy came in to fix a machine and he started talking really, really badly about South Asian people, like whilst I was in the room. Um, and my boss just kind of kept looking What? at me like, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know why he's, but he didn't say anything, you know, yeah. but he was looking like really guilty. And I was kind of there like, I mean, if you feel so guilty, why are you not saying anything? Anything, <laughs> like, exactly. Something like say something yeah exactly but i've i've yeah i've had i've had um i've had experiences where i've applied for a job and i have i know i don't want to sound like like i'm tooting my own horn like i know my my portfolio is great i know that i've got a first class degree from london college of fashion um and my counterpart um didn't have a higher degree than me she's 
she had a low degree and um, her portfolio didn't have uh, the same quality as mine but she had an English name and the company was a traditional heritage British brand I don't want to say which one it is (laughs) (laughs) we can guess (laughs) yeah and yeah she got the job and I didn't and I I mean look I can only assume because there's no concrete evidence and I might be wrong I'm only assuming but based off of like what I factually saw um, yeah based on facts why would yeah, they accept on... her and not you based on your portfolio oh my god yeah yeah I mean my name is very ethnic it's Jana Muhammad Amir Ali so so I think they like... just said like <laughs> they were like okay no oh so racist yeah. like that's crazy like it's actually like so frustrating to think that because of that you didn't get the like what I Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, especially around race, we look at America and we think, oh, my God, like, they're such a racist country. And like, what's going on there? That never happens here. And I think the difference between America and Britain is that in America, it's very out in the open. You know, it's not very hidden. Yeah, it's heard about everywhere. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People aren't shy to, to express their opinions. Um, it's the land of the free and so I think they think that they can just go around doing whatever they want um, but in Britain it's it's a different type it's it's like hidden but it comes out in these like glimpses and it makes you feel very unwelcome there and you could be born there you could have lived there your whole life yeah that's what um, I was going to say like, you're what? British I, yeah <laughs> like I've had experiences in college where people have said especially like the, a lot of terrorism started to happen whilst I was in college and um, a group of people came up to me and they're like, why are your people doing this? Oh, I was like, my people? people. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my people? I was born here. I don't know what you're talking about. They don't know, like, there's a huge percentage of British people who are part of criminal groups and terrorist groups. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, know. I think uh, it's just not, obviously, because it's so hidden. I mean, you got to remember, like, the slave trade was invented by the British. Like, exactly. If you, yeah, if you're gonna find racism <laughs> anywhere, you're gonna it's find there. it. It's in your roots. <laughs> yeah, literally. Oh. So, yeah. Wow, I'm so, so sorry weird. you have to experience that. Actually, but you know, it. I mean, look, I don't, I don't wish it on anyone, but yeah. I think it's because of those experiences that it makes me more compassionate, and it makes me have a reason to fight back at, at what's there you know like I'm not gonna sit here and take it like I'm gonna yeah. challenge it and it's turned me into thankfully a very strong woman someone that's not afraid to fight back and call out something when I see it and for that I'm thankful obviously the experiences I could have done without but <laughs> yeah. the, the, the outcome of it you know I'm, yeah, I made it's made you stronger exactly exactly well so back to your brand yeah can you tell us about the impact of COVID on the fashion industry? Um, yeah, I feel like, well, the thing is the fashion industry is really fastly like adapting. It's very innovative. I mean, as a designer, your job is literally to innovate. So it is really fast adapting. I think it, obviously in terms of stores and physical presence, it's taken a hit. Um, I, a lot of stores are closing down. Um, people aren't able to pay their rent fashion brands just can't can't sustain it um so everything's kind of moving more online and there's this like online presence I don't know if I think it was Gucci I think it was Gucci they sold like the first digital shoes oh really 
yeah it was really weird i think it was like 15 dollars or something it was really cheap and like you pay 15 dollars and you get like these digital shoes and like you can like take a picture of your foot and it will have the shoe on it <laughs> and crazy. i was like i was like wow like, i'm confused this- <laughs> i was like first of all what and then second of all like what have we come to like what if I want to go out and like where like I've just paid $15 for like a gift basically yeah (laughs) like so yeah so that they've done that I've saw I've seen like quite a few brands like kind of um basing everything off of the whole like loungewear kind of thing to try and adapt and Mm. people buy it but I, I definitely think it has taken a hit um, I know in terms of jobs, it's taken a hit. Like it's nearly impossible to find Especially a job. in the underdeveloped countries where a lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah, 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 100%. And like, you got to imagine as well, like production is going to be way smaller now because they don't want to waste their money. They can't afford to waste their money. Exactly. But that's like people's livelihood in some countries. So I don't know how it's working with your brand actually, but how are you adapting and how... Do you think you will manage to come up with new solutions that are more suitable with this time? Well, I think the bottom line is, I don't know if it's unfortunately or fortunately, but people are just not going to stop buying. It's just not going to happen. Like, it it will slow down, but at the end of it, like, everyone's going to want their post-lockdown outfits. Like, it's no one's going to stop buying. Um, Coronavirus has made the journey very stressful and very difficult um i've had to change factories things have been like extremely painfully slow um i'm still waiting on material that i ordered like two months ago so everything's really slow but as long as everything stays shut i have really nothing to worry about i it can go as slow as it wants because i can't sell anywhere i have such a high standard for this brand that I wouldn't just release something half-heartedly. I would want to do the whole production around it and really show people what this brand can do. And so for that reason, COVID, even though it slowed down the process, it it it's slowing it down, but there's nothing to release for anyway. I'm hoping that once COVID kind of like swiftly goes, that it will open up and things will kind of not resume to normal because I know it won't happen like that, but like go back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah. Mm-hmm um there's something else i lately i i just visited your profile and also zineb told me that you invited her on your podcast so yeah you have your own podcast say can you tell us about the idea behind creating your own podcast yeah so me and my friends we would always have these really deep deep uh conversations and i remember like throughout like all these conversations sitting there thinking like someone should record these like someone <laughs> yeah. needs to film these. it's like, like me and Zinab, exactly <laughs> literally and I was like why is no one recording and I'm a very sentimental person so I like to have things that I can go back to and be like wow that's what I was thinking at that time well, you know? same like going back through all the videos and be like oh yeah. my god yeah like I was such a baby how did I think yeah. of that like I I like to be very nostalgic um and so for a while I was like going to my uni friends and I was like hey like I have this idea like what if we just recorded these conversations and actually Ismail was one of the people that I was talking to yeah. about he was like oh um yeah like why don't you just do it like just and I was like yeah I guess but I'm a bit busy now with uni and I was like probably after uni I'll do it 
And then a few months after uni, it was still playing on my mind. I was like, I need to have these conversations like at a place where people can talk to me about like what we're talking about, like confirm I'm not crazy. (laughs) And and so then I kind of just invested in the equipment and I, I called my friends around and I was like, let's just talk. The first episode was all over the place. It was very entertaining. Like people loved it and they were like, oh, I love hearing you and your friends talk, but it was very like disorganized. And so that episode's not any on the, on my podcast anymore. Um, But I just kept um, bringing people on um, to talk about their experiences um, because that's something I'm interested in. Like not only am I interested in my own experience and delving into my own identity, but I'm interested in hearing other people's experiences and what makes them them, the struggles they face, uh, the advantages they may have, all the, like all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. And that's kind of where it came off from. I, I did an episode with my friend Grace, who I'm, I met at like an embroidery class. And I never knew that she had this condition when I met her because she, she was just very high, high performing. You wouldn't be able to tell anything was happening beneath the surface. Yeah. And then I followed her on social media and suddenly I see like she's got this condition. And funnily enough, it was a condition that I had just learned about like a few years ago. So I knew the extremities of the condition and it, it has like a very cystic fibrosis. So it has like a very short lifespan. Um, you, you have to do really in, intense treatments. You're in the hospital a lot. You can't get ill. You can't be near someone that has cystic fibrosis. It's like this really intense situation. Yeah. And I said to her, like, why don't you just come on and like talk to me about it? And she was like, oh, my God, I'd love to we spoke about it and it kind of just went really big and all these people like big people from the cystic fibrosis community started like commenting on it and saying like oh my god like this is great like keep going and so from there I was kind of like just delving into loads of other people's experience it's become a bit Indo-Caribbean heavy which I understand (laughs) <laughs> it won't it won't be that indo-caribbean heavy in the future it's just i've surrounded myself now with a lot of indo-caribbean people and i love to hear their stories so yeah same. actually like i learned a lot just listening to the podcast so it's like oh wow i didn't even knew this and then just like jumping from one podcast to another and, and yes, you know what okay. it is as well they they like I have loads of Indo-Caribbean people coming up to me saying I want to share my story now and so oh. I, I'm not gonna say no like yeah you have to share the stories and I think it's so cool that you managed to create this safe space that actually everyone just wants to go and share the stories like that's so it cool, has been actually. dangerous at times though like I had this person come up to me saying oh like I would love to be on the podcast um and talk about mental health and I was like oh that's great I'd I'd love to talk about mental health and he was like yeah especially from like a male point of view and I was like I think that's a really important conversation to have like we should definitely have it and I didn't know that at the time he was going through he had um what you call a psychosis so psychosis Mm, yeah yeah, Yeah. it's a really really intense um mental illness which can lead to hallucinations. It can lead to epi- like lead to episodes, and and I didn't realize that he had that at the time until yeah. he phoned me and explained that this is what he was going through. He doesn't think it's wise to do the podcast just now. So I said, look, I completely respect that. Get better. Like I'm I'm here for you. Do what you need to do when you're ready. You can come on if you want to come on. If you don't, I respect that. And then he contacted me um, shortly after that and wanted to come on, um, but. I felt like it wouldn't have been safe, especially with the way that he was talking to me. Um, So it has led to some situations where it probably 
isn't the best time to have conversations with people. So when yeah. I when people come to me and say they want to talk now, I kind of like really ask them like, okay, so what do you want to talk about? Like, what like it, analyze yeah. the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just make sure it's gonna be safe. Yeah, <laughs> for everyone. Because <laughs> normally God. when it, when it's people in in London, I just have them come over to my house and we just do oh, it in my, in my like a room. Yeah, That's and so I like fun. it like that because, like, I mean, obviously with COVID you can't do that. Yeah. But it, when it's like that, it's more intimate. Like you can. It it's really, like tea time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the only difference is there's a microphone, and that's it. But like apart from that, it's very intimate. It's very. It's a nice conversation to have. Um, but I did have to think twice about letting people into my home, um, and having conversations with people, especially like analyzing their situation. Yeah, that's so cool. Can you just tell us like? where we can find you on the socials how can we follow yeah. the hold us sorry the podcast everything yeah so you can find me on instagram um at janice that's j-a-n-a um holder has its own instagram which is holder london h-o-l-d-a and then london and say has its own instagram say the podcast but that's s-a-e and on spotify you can find say um as s-a-e as well that's so yeah. cool thank you so much we're so glad you joined us today it was an amazing conversation oh. with you yeah. thank you for having me honestly i love your guys's podcast you're doing it's great things really thank you. thank you it's so cool i hope i'm gonna see you one day in real life i told you once the covid is over we have to meet with ismail and everyone that's gonna be so cool i was literally saying to ismail like I, there's like tickets for flights right now are going so cheap and i was like next january like i'm coming to italy please still be there oh i'm gonna be there for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come. everyone come everyone like come. everyone let's do a bit let's meet in italy yeah. yeah let's meet in, like actually farah is in italy now so oh, yeah. really yeah oh my gosh okay then all right well when i book my tickets i'll let you know when i'll be there and then yeah. we can plan it all so I can yes. book mine too and let's all meet in Italy and just have a big podcast session. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Conversation. Be so yeah. Podcast community. <laughs> I would love that. That would be okay. great. Okay. Well, bye-bye, girls. It was so, so cool to have you. Thank See you. you. Thank bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Hopefully you enjoyed today's podcast. See you next time. Ciao. Bye.